Borag Dog Earthlets. My name is Connor, alongside my friend Fox. This is the 168th episode of Space Spinner 2000. Oh, damn. Podcast where two Americans try to make sense of the UK's own galaxy's greatest comic, 2000 AD, one month of progs at a time. This episode, we're covering 2000 AD for July and August 1987, progs 531 to 534. This time, Orlock escapes... Rogue gets his hit, Bad Jack is immortal, Johnny Alpha aids a royal wedding, and the revolution begins and ends in Judge Dredd. Jesus. So much happened this month, man. Absolutely. Very, very high, high content month. If you want to read along with us, you'll find the comics we're covering today in Judge Dredd, The Complete Case Files 11, Anderson's Sci-Files Volume 1, Rogue Trooper Tales of New Earth 3, The Complete DR and Quinch, Strontium Dog, SDHD Files 4, 2008 AD Extreme Edition 25, and Nemesis the Warlock Volume 2. Ah, uh, damn, so much reading. But do you know what I Seriously. love? I, I mean, yeah. my, my favorite thing is that, you know, I don't need all these books. I just psychically connect to uh, to the ethos of where we're from right now. And you know what? I think I'm ready for our first prog. Oh, no. The wolf is hunting fox through one Anderson side division. Uh, yeah. So a uh, script robot for Anderson side division, John Wagner and Alan Grant as TB Grover. Art robots, Barry Kitson and Will Simpson as Simpson and Bruno. Letting robot, Tom Frame. Oh, baby. So... Last time, Fox, uh, so Sovsit agent Orlock the Assassin has escaped, and I really, and comp- I really thought yeah. his co his co partner, his co pilot, died in that freaking car accident. Apparently not. Nah, she just nah. Like modern uh, Mega City One um, accident prevention system kept her alive. <laughs> yeah, his his accomplice Glenny Mexworth has been apprehended by the judges. She's pulled out of a car. She's been pulled out, out out from the car wreck and cuffed by the time Judge Cassandra Anderson arrives on the scene. Glennie reveals that Anderson has been tracking a psychic projection. Orlock is gone. You've been beaten, Anderson. Or she would have been, if not for psychic battle. That's right. Cassandra Anderson, not satisfied with this, grabs Mexworth, and it's time for some mind war. Man, they just beat the shit out of each other in the psychic realm. It's awesome. Yeah, they go in the psychic realm, which means that like the page is encircled by the faces of Anderson and Mexworth as we see Anderson just beating the crap out of out of out of Mexworth in the psychic realm. There's some uh, Captain Kirk style double yes! fist hammer blows and stuff like that. It's good times. Anderson demands to know where Orlock is, kicks the crap out of Mexworth, and in the end, it seems that Anderson wins and Mexworth's just kind of standing there with like her jaw slack like she's just <laughs> being a vegetable by this second like, combat, which is pretty excellent. Um meanwhile, or, or sorry, uh, Anderson sees Orlock is at the Sector 42 hover port aboard the Spirit of Eisner. Mm. And to me, this seems like a double reference, possibly, of 42 being uh, the Douglas Adams meaning of life, the universe, and everything. And, of course, the Spirit of Eisner, uh, the spirit was Will Eisner's uh, uh, a, a superhero, like early superhero comic. Oh, interesting. I I, um, I know nothing about the spirit, by the way. I mean, like, I would say that that the movie is not representative of what the comic is. Okay. But the the comic is also very, um, like, it's very like, oh, we're figuring out what the, what the, what 
comic books are at this point you know so it's it's foundational but might be a little weird to a modern reader is what I'm, i want to say understood um and yeah the ship's taken off and doesn't respond to to hails and is eventually lost at sea mm. anderson some is it, that then something's up to chief judge silver we learned that mexworth's real name is natasha gulag oh. the most russian of names <laughs> what the fuck man <laughs> Who, like you could be named uh, Boris Rushinsky and have a less Russian name than Natasha Gulag. It, like, like really, it's horrible. It's a horrible Pretty like good. surname. <laughs> it's only in Judge Dredd could someone be called Natasha Gulag. I mean, yeah, I'd be I'd be doubting it if the main character wasn't literally named Judge Dredd, but <laughs> you know, fair like. dues. Anderson theorizes that Orlock took control of the ship and over the Black Atlantic bailed out to rendezvous with an East Meg deep sea sub. Turns out that's pretty true. Yeah, he's lost. And like we figured earlier, you know, this is the work of uh, East Meg sleeper cells inserted not long after the end of the Apocalypse War, just waiting for the signal. And Anderson picked on the signal, too. Hence the whole wolf business. But, you know, you, this whole comic, basically. Mm. Um. They, do, they don't know when the East Meg 1 survivors will strike, but they surely will. Silver gives Anderson leave to execute Gulag, and we cut to Orlock on a distant shore. Oh, yeah, it's time for the evil reckoning. speech time. Yeah. The reckoning is yet to come. Mega City 1 will fall. We will be avenged! Oh, man, I love his face just the and the hands with the tendons. It's like, we're definitely going to do definitely. some horrible stuff. Yeah. The end of Judge Anderson. For uh, now. Anderson. Yeah, it's true. Anderson will return in uh, December of 1988. So about a Damn. year from now or more, actually. And then Orlock will return in July 1989. Wow. So far? Which will be. I mean, yeah, but like we're about to get into like like we're, we're a couple months away from a massive dread epic that's really going to dread things up for like a long time just make it hard for there to be other stories that aren't related to that dread story i guess all right so it's just setting up it's all set up kind of or like you know when when dread's doing these like you know store like store like perp of the week stories Mm. you can kind of have more stuff going on with judge dread but i feel like if dread's in the middle of the of a mega epic then a side dread story also has to be related to that mega epic if 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 that makes sense yeah absolutely i would expect it almost like otherwise otherwise it gets a little bit too confusing in the pages of the uh, of the prog at least mm. um and speaking of things getting weird and confusing oh. fox <laughs> <laughs> oh man thrill to mean team uh the reaction I'd have, I guess, when someone tells me that I have Wolverine powers. Mm. He just punches yeah. a fucking tree, like, right out the gate. Definitely, yeah. Script robot Alan Hebden, art robot Massimo Bellardinelli, letting robot John Aldrich as the Aldrich 3. Aldrich rides again! Damn! <laughs> I was just... I, I talked about this a little bit in a, in a Facebook group, but basically... You know, uh, John Aldrich, the letterer, we haven't seen him for a little while, but he was in a very early Tharg the Mighty comic. Uh, le- the, f- uh, the Aldrich lettering bot was fed to Mechwake. <laughs> and after that, he always appeared 
in the comic as the Aldrich Mark II. Mm. And so now that he's been away for a little while and come back, now it's the Aldrich Three hanging out here, which I think is pretty funny. It's pretty cute. Just in terms of a little, like, uh, kayfabe of um, 2018 stuff. <laughs> but so, Fox, Bad Jack Keller has learned that he's unkillable uh. and can heal almost any injury instantly. He's messing himself up and healing it for a little while, just being all crazy about it. But <laughs> Psychic Panther Henry Moon is not impressed. So it's time for some backstory. Yeah, he's much more interested in why Jack's immortal instead of the way that he is immortal. And luckily, Emerald Eyes is here to further explain their backstory. Do you know what I love, Conrad? I l- Ooh, I hope it's exp- exposition. <laughs> I love being told that people sacrificed for their life force through weird brain helmets uh, don't transfer their brain. Uh, they transfer their life force to the kids. It's a very important yeah. uh, 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 thing to say to us when they're wearing the funny helmets. Definitely. Yeah. So last time we learned that uh, JK1 and EME were made by scientists blending a mix of technology and white magic to fight the forces of evil that have taken over Earth. But when the, their defenses fell to the enemy, they had no choice but to charge our hero with life force, killing people that, that provided it, like you said. And send them out as basically newborn babies putting kid bodies to a world full of crazy evil. Specifically snail monsters, which is awesome. Good amount of snail monsters. Of course, Blue Baloo also looking yeah, on. Yeah, like what? What? Um, I mean, cool. Cool, 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 cool. Makes sense. Makes sense. Blue Baloo's there, I guess. Like what? Got to tie that. Got to tie that past evil into future evil, buddy. <laughs> Or something. I guess. Yeah, I mean, they escape, but then I I guess underage nudity. Great work, 2000 yeah. AD. The two of them wandered basically naked except for blankets for a while until they were picked up, like, possibly while 69ing by the locals. <laughs> um, and eventually... I mean, I'm just saying... I'm just calling with the picture. Yeah, scene, it's Fox, weird. You know. Um, eventually Jack was kidnapped by slavers and left Earth to play death ball. When he did, he got hit over the head and lost his memory. And as he left, um, it turned on this power rod thing. Sure. Which is ter- destroy, violently destroys all technology on Earth, except for Henry Moon's uh, translator device. Oh, man, <laughs> that thing I just decided to bring up totally probably made you forget. But, you know, since you've been here... And I hate you, uh, but now I don't. I'm going to explain, like, why you're important, so totally trust me. Like, it's just, she becomes an Xmas, a a MacGuffin machine for this whole thing. It's very weird. Definitely. Total total exposition machine she knows where this power rod thing is and jack is supposed to know what the power what the code word is to activate it but apparently he might have forgot it because of the blow to the head but uh you know if he gets there maybe he'll remember it um also also can you say power rod one one more time power rod (laughs) um i'll also say it's kind of interesting that like they left with name tags just with their identifications you know jk and Mm. eme and I think it's pretty fun. And it's a weird thing that, like, the researchers named them Jack Keller and Emerald Eyes. And then they remembered those names despite being, like, brainless um, amnesia kids out in the wilds or something. Continuity. I don't know. But anyway. Yeah. Um, all this to say. 
<laughs> before they can do anything, um, Jack and Henry's uh, blitz, uh, sorry, death ball, uh, co, 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 co teammates hammer and a mucker back, wearing cool evil outfits, and now they're catching Jack in a net. It's time for things to happen. Let's talk about that. <laughs> Fuck you, here's a net. <laughs> The net isn't enough, though. Jack pulls a muck off his chimera with the net. <laughs> and when the beaster attacks Jack, he hits a muck in a pressure point in his forehead, taking him out. Which, yeah, exists. No one's ever used that, you know, in the death ball game, but it's important. You should know it's that. secret information. A muck told Jack that in confidence. Whoa! <laughs> Meanwhile, Henry's fighting Hammer and managed to take him out pretty handily as well. Some good man on cat action. And now it's Both time for man out. on yeah. twins on panther on twins action. A lot going on. Both are knocked out and Emerald Eyes diagnoses them as having being uh, turned to evil and in the grip of Blue Baloo. The twins suddenly appear in a tree and go to escape, but they trip over a rock. Uh, it's so, the worst enemy you could really have, honestly. All my enemies are gravity-based. <laughs> um, when they, they, they go after them, and the twins split into a buzzard and a wolf, but Jack and um, they catch them. Jack hits them with that same damn net, catching them instead. <laughs> Amazing. With a hammer and a muck tied up, Baloo reaches out and scratches Jack's face. He heals the injury, but Baloo has infected him with her evil spell, and now he's going to kill Henry and Emerald. Maybe he's got uh, cat scratch fever. <laughs> Twin scratch fever. <laughs> um, Beautiful. So, yeah. The only hope is for um, Henry to injure Jack faster than he can heal while Emerald Eyes tries to find the antidote to this evil uh, sickness. Which I guess Henry... is just biting his entire head and face. Yeah. Henry vows to use the full extent of his panther body as he goes for Jack's throat. And man, this concludes in a way that maybe I just hate. Yeah, Henry pounces on Jack and proceeds to just bite his face off, which actually which is, is pretty awesome. intense. It's awesome. I mean, he heals it right away, but for a second, it's like, whoa, like he messed that guy up. Oh, well, that's it. I feel like that <clears throat> could have cured a man of things, right? Nah. No? <laughs> no? All right. Soon afterwards, Jack is back up and on the attack. Meanwhile, Emerald Eyes is eye-blasting Blue Baloo like crazy, rhyming as she blasts them into a big fiery pit. <laughs> And they split to try to escape, but they can't. To be freed from fiery death, the tree, the twins toss Emerald the antidote to their evil poison. <sighs> and soon she's back, fixing both Bad Jack and Hammer and Amok. Uh, Henry Moon barely survived, but all three have no memories of their evil deeds. Oh, man. And now suddenly Bad Jack is acceptable, Jack. I will say, yeah, it is nice that Jack does seem kind of sad about the fact that he was just about to, like, snap Henry Moon over his knee like a twig. It basically. may be his only friend, who's quickly not yeah. becoming his friend, because he was bad Definitely. Jack, not acceptable Jack, because now we're in return from Armageddon territory. Mm, I was I was going to say still Blackhawks for me. Oh, yeah, I'll be thing. honest. Yeah, yeah, a little bit. Just like, well, because Blackhawk just like, complained about the same thing until he went crazy. But he was also like 
on a quest against this ultimate evil and had to like mm. find stuff to take it out and stuff like that. Like he was going after his soul, but it's a very like, you know, we're on a quest for a MacGuffin. There's a big mastermind evil and then some side, you know, underboss evil we have to deal with as well. I, I, I think feels- where it, it parallels Blackhawk so well is just suddenly different exclamation mm. point. Yeah, I mean, maybe, yeah, it is definitely, like, going from, I mean, again, going from sort of an arena fighting situation to a, a, a fantasy quest situation, Yeah, for sure. Uh, it was just, it was so weirdly haphazard, like, oh, mean team, oh, mean team. I miss Ursa real bad. Oh, God, man. I miss, I miss Ursa, I miss, uh, who's the caveman guy, um, uh, Bonk, something, ma- like, something that? like that right and he would just like smash people over the head do you know what i miss more than yeah. anything else those two on mac mac see it's the through line mm. of the whole fucking series more mac mac is required anyway <laughs> bad jack's tired of all this evil stuff let's get out of here we're going after this rod of power and we're going to end evil forever assuming he can remember the code word next time on mean team mad bad and desperate pan in on uh rabbit with cheetah legs and yeah shout out to dylan mckay mad bad and dangerous to know anyway <laughs> speaking hey uh fox yeah mm. so interesting stuff you know they're trying to end all evil on the planet oh Earth, my god you know, mean team <sighs> but if you want to talk about people who are trying to end t- the evil of tyranny in mega city one we got to talk about 303 judge dread I I I I may be entirely silent for at least three of these things, man. It's affecting. <laughs> Big crazy. It's affecting. Yeah. Like reading, and I will say this: five thirty-one through five thirty-three, some of the most affecting dreads I've personally read. It's intense. There's some big long-term stuff in all of Judge Dread this month, actually, Fox, in all mm. four of them, but we'll get to it. Um, script Robots, John Wagner and Alan Grant, Art Robots, John Higgins and Liam Sharp, Letting Robot Tom Frame. So we start with John Higgins here. Uh, it's the revolution storyline. This is a really important Judge Dread storyline, Fox, as I'm sure you can tell, I guess. Um, yeah. At a massive assembly, a speaker talks about the death of Hester Hyman, Franklin Ludd, J. William Williams, and Rufer Tuttle during the Letter from a Democrat story mm. back in Prague 460, which we covered in episode 144. Inspired by their group, the Democratic Tendency, among others, the speaker calls for a return of the power to the hands of the people in Mega City One. Gort Hyman, Hester's husband, who we uh, saw a little bit of in the Letter in the letter from a Democrat story, takes the podium and talks tearfully about his wife's sacrifice and the need for a depowering of the judges and a return to of democracy to the city. The, spur, the first speaker, uh, Blondel Dupree, returns to the podium and announces that their super group of uh, Democratic organizations, the Hester Hyman Trust, is calling for a massive march on the Hall of Justice tomorrow at noon to demand change. She calls for no justice, just action, power to the people. And all the while, there's these interspliced pieces of art while she's talking where there are just just, uh, judges monitoring different screens, taking notes, like uh, observing and recording. And and you just sort of get and and while all of the Democrats are in this like uh, background is white, all of the ink black where the judges are everything yeah. is dark and the highlights are white like you really get this contrast in this huge 
moving speech that they're making. It's a similar thing with in, in the color pages as well mm. for a lot of this, where um, the where um, the uh, the the Democrats and revolutionaries are usually in blue and the judges usually in red. Mm. You know. Um. But afterwards, some journalists talked to Chief Judge Silver about this situation. He's seemingly not that worried about it. Like, if these guys want to march, that's fine, as long as they remain within the law. But when the reporter leaves, he just turns to an orderly and says, get me dread. Or sorry, he says, get dread in here. Yeah. You know, Silver Silver gives dread unlimited authority to deal with this march. Dreads like operate within the law. Silver says, in this situation, you are the law or you write the law. It's real nuts. They mm. can't shut the, the march down outright for public relations purposes. You know, they can't just like bust in and say no march. That would cause a, a, a massive riot and make this sort of pe- hopefully peaceful revolution into a very violent um, situation. Mm. But that doesn't mean they can't be really freaking sneaky about it. In, so, in the most terrifying of ways. Indeed, yeah. I mean, Dredd talks about how he feels like this city's a pressure cooker right now. He, like, there's no one out in the streets. The entire city's quiet. No crime at all. Because it feels like the whole city, like, everything's just waiting to pounce on this big event the next day. Mm. Dredd decides to target the leaders of the watch, no, of the march, no matter how far they have to reach. And For they instance, reach deep. Yeah, one what one leader has been married six times, but signed her name incorrectly on like her second marriage. She forgot to put a space in the Bigamy. middle of her name. Yeah, that means that that for that second divorce wasn't final, so she's been committing. She's committed at least four counts of bigamy, I guess. They've ran it down. Several of her ex-husbands have agreed to accuse her, and they're working on her current one. Oh, uh, nudge, nudge. Ugh. So that's a go for her. Another was accused of being a, a collaborator right after the apocalypse war for for a was, costume was, he wore on a, a for a party. Well, the charge was 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 cleared on account of mistaken identity with someone else, and then later, you know, it's been like six years or it's been what five years since the apocalypse war, but mm. later he wore like like a sovsit uniform to a costume party, and putting those two together are enough to sort of create kind of a loose frame that he actually was a collaborator and stuff yeah um they haven't yet found anything on the leader blondel dupree or on gort hyman but dread is determined to to um to have something to take out gort he wants to make him betray hester hyman by the end of this <sighs> which gets dark rough buddy yeah <laughs> So we see Dredd bursting in on one of the one of the Democratic leaders, sending him um, sending him to holding for an overdue vid slug, like an overdue library book, basically. <laughs> They'll keep him up all night, like standing around, like unable to rest. So because he's an old guy, and he'll be real fatigued for the march. Mm. Meanwhile, the bigamy um, charges are making their way through the media, despite Spencer. the fact that several of the. Yeah, despite the fact that several of the husbands have clearly been recently beaten as they charge this lady, mm. you know, that they're so offended about this bigamy that she's quote unquote committed. Um, 
Meanwhile, the collaboration charges are mounting as well. The accused, Morton Phillips, tries to explain himself, but is yelled at by people claiming to be the people, the very people that Phillips betrayed. Jesus. And just there's a, a, a mob breaks out, like people are shouting, fruits thrown, his reputation's ruined forever. And we see the main people that were harassing him here are members of the Wally squad. So un- undercover judges, basically. Mm. Soon, as noon approaches, the march is still going on. At 10, there's over 20 million people assembled to go. But before Gort Hyman can join them, Judge Dredd knocks on his door. (laughs) Wow. Always bad. He wants Gort to come come out against the march that the Hester Hyman Trust should instead work with the Justice Department, not against it. And if he doesn't, well, hey, buddy, you know, Gort himself is a model citizen. In fact, he's such a good citizen and has raised his two sons so well Ugh. that Dredd has come with a pair of induction orders. And if he doesn't go along with it, then both his sons will be pressed into the Justice Department, leave, you know, be t- the, the, the department will take take custody of them and raise them to be judges. Jesus Christ. Like, it's, ho- which it's is, dark. Dark. Which is pretty dark. Yeah. Um, forced between losing his children or being true to his wife's uh, memory, Gort goes along with the judges and denounces the mark, the march. By the time it's about to start, the leadership is down to Blondel Dupree and an exhausted Kendra, uh, Kenzel Davichek, who we just saw arrested earlier. People have left the march a little bit, but they're still with 16 million people at their backs. The pair start the march forward for democracy damn and you know here's where i really want to say um john higgins is, is art is great for this yes Just, we see he's really able to jump between these really close quarters political machinations and then huge wide views of the marchers in the city and stuff especially and, with like 533 with like the kind of painterly style like you're not getting detail of the crowd but you're seeing how huge it is Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, 16 million is like the largest march ever. Yeah. You know, in, um, in like uh, in one place, at least, I think. But um, it is kind of hurt by the fact that in uh, 532 is kind of a bad scan. So it is kind of washed out in portions right. there, which is a huge bummer. Um, next up, a, in a glorious full color page, yeah. the march begins. Like I said, we see the crowd scene is blue and bright and the riot judges that Dredd's massing are all dark red areas, you know, very um, contrasting the two. As the march begins, the judges blast the marchers with sound waves, causing them to become unsettled and uneasy. Meanwhile, undercover judges are sowing dissent in the crowd. As the march advances, Kenzel Davidchek collapses and is taken away. And this is really the final stage of this uh, infiltration. The instigators move up. Rocks are thrown at judges. And that is the line. And suddenly people are getting beaten with day sticks. Yeah, the uh, assault judges roll out and it's all just fix, uh, fists and day sticks. The undercover um, units identifying themselves as family men to avoid being beaten themselves. The people in, are in, a, in the march panic and run, and Dredd lets them go. So they just like, you know, we just want them to disperse as he wipes blood off of his day stick. While holding the guy he beat to death. 
Definitely. That night, Judge Silver addresses the city. The disorder of the march is a symbol of the difficulties of democracy and that the Justice Department is the only way to keep the people of Mega City One safe. Democracy is dead. The revolution is over. The the thing that I'll call out is that while, I mean, we could read the whole thing, but that would be forever. What's nuts is how it's delivered the pros mm. are almost believable, right? Um, yeah. They're just really well written, uh, which makes it even like the more dangerous and almost frightening, if that makes sense. Oh, definitely. Yeah. It, this really feels like um, it's based on the language that um, authoritarian dictators use when they silence people, you know? Exactly. Like, you know... There's never anybody who's who's twirling a mustache saying, yes, and now I will silence the people's freedom of speech. You know, it's like, no, like, you know, people like we're trying to restore order. You know, <laughs> we're yeah. trying to like keep people safe. You know, it's the um, it's it, 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 it's it's balanced. And it's I think I think it's really well done here of just how you could see people just going along with the uh, with the tyranny of the judges. You it's know, which is a, it is a big thing for sure. Yeah. At, at a sector house, uh, the masses of arrested people at the march are being processed. Uh, Dupree yells at Dredd. She says she stop- they've stopped them this time, but you can't stop ideals. Freedom, truth, democracy, all live in the hearts of the people. And one day, they're going to beat you. Jeez. But it definitely doesn't feel that way just as the mass arrests mount Yeah, the lines that are in front of a... Uh... Just kind of the whole yeah, and, scene. And Dred's just led massive psyops here and <laughs> stuff like that just to completely destroy the revolutionary leaders and then to turn what should have been their greatest triumph into the greatest black mark against them, you know? Exactly. It's terrifying. Cra- crazy stuff. I wish, like, I I don't know when this will, like, we'll, we'll definitely see more of this over the years. You know, this is like... As it have to be, just based on the way Judge Dredd is, it's a question that has to come back from time to time in Judge Dredd, you know? Yeah. I think it's an interesting thing. I think the fact that just, you know, that Dredd is the villain in this story. Like, 100%. There's no—it's hard to read it as him not be—as as Dredd specifically and the Justice Department uh, as a larger whole not being the bad guy here. Mm. And I think it's a very interesting point to keep in mind just as, you know, when people make sort of basic criticisms of Judge Dredd, I guess, or surface well, criticisms of them, you know? I mean, there's like there's a lot to unpack here. Like yeah. as a as a, an example from the movies, right? Like this this kind of story is one that Carl Urban can't portray as a first film. Nor I I, I don't oh, even no. know how yeah. it would even be. Right. And Stallone wouldn't be able to do this kind of affecting maybe. Um, but it's like weirdly resonant uh, even now. Right. Like, oh, yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, I think this terrifying. is one of those things. Yeah. I think, it's, I think that 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 this story, along with, say, Judge Cal, along with some of the stuff we saw in uh, in in Torca murder especially but also just generally with Torquemada in uh, nemesis mm-hmm. um these are things that are that are applicable you know that that you can see in your daily life just sort of walking around wherever you are 
You know, yeah. I think it was a, it was a affecting and you could see it working in 1987 when it comes out. I think it can be seen in 2019 as we're recording this. I think that, you know, sadly, it's something that in in the, in the 22nd century, you, 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 you'll, you'll be able to identify with, you yeah. know, yeah. like, like in the time, you know, if you're actually reading this when this takes place in like 2110, you know, you'd still <laughs> be able to be like, oh, man, like this reminds me of hopefully not your current leaders, but like things that that you're that that, that you've seen elsewhere that you're against or yeah. that you sort of, you know. Are, are worried about in the future. I don't know. Like, I'm hoping for that saccharine it... Star Trek. <laughs> Good luck, buddy. I know. You know, I mean, but I, th- I think it is one of those things, like I, I, I've said a couple times, like Dread is very much the dystopia version of Star Trek. Yeah. You know? Yeah. <laughs> it's post-need, but it's a, a dystopia. You know, it's a, it's, it's a bad place, but it is one where there is enough plenty that people aren't starving and stuff. It, it's a weird situation. I don't know. Mm. Like, I don't want to get too heady about it, but sure. this is, is an important story, and one that I think is is with is both worth reading and worth keeping in mind whenever we are cheering Judge Dredd or laughing when he does mm. something super fascist yeah. or something like that. You're kind you know? of you're cheering for the wrong side, you know. Yeah, I mean, as much as it's all a fictional story, oh, sure. like there is sort of stuff underpinning Judge Dredd that's important to keep in mind. But that's and great fiction, think, right? Yeah, and I think. And I think one of the th- like one of the things that frustrates me when I try to talk about Judge Dredd with people that don't really know about mm. the character is the idea that it's a celebration of of, of fascism. Yeah, the way that I think like a base reading of say the Punisher is you exactly. Know? They like, they just think that it's a violence comic or that it's a yeah. you know it's it's overly tongue in cheek when really it it is both overly tongue in cheek and incredibly subversive. Um, yeah, I think that yeah. keeping stuff like this one in mind, and eventually America, w- when we get to the Judge magazine, the uh, the the Dread magazine, mm. um, are are interesting counterpoints to what sort of I don't know your your first impressions of the character might be. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, speaking of bad guys, Fox. Oh my God. Um, Liam Sharp takes over on art as we see a kid bouncing a ball with a scary face on it as he walks past a couple of judges taking a news crew through a crime scene just in a uh, in an apartment block. Mm-hmm. Uh, apparently something crawled through the letterbox, leaving behind sucker marks. And we're sort of flashing around to the outside of the uh, of the apartment building just to set the scene. I should mention that all this takes place in the uh, Karen Berger block. Don't know. And and this story is called Bug, but uh, Karen Berger is, is a comic book editor. She's best known for being the executive editor of, Vert- of Vertigo Comics for over 10 years. And for being the editor of comics like uh, Neil Gaiman's Sandman and Alan Moore's Swamp Thing. Ah. Um, and she now runs her own comic imprint called Burger Books. Good and woman. I'm, just, I'm sort of I'm going into this because as we're recording this, DC has just announced they're closing down the uh, Vertigo comic book line. Oof. And that's a bummer. So, But it's kind of interesting to see, see someone who's intricately um, involved in that um, line you know, be mentioned in, in a 2018 comic. You rock, Karen. Um, you fucking yeah. right. I did not know, but now I know, and you are awesome. Definitely. Um, so anyway, <laughs> whatever this suckered monster was, it climbed straight up the ceiling and <laughs> killed the apartment resident's pet vulture. Takes all kinds. You can you can tell <laughs> by the sucker marks, I guess. Yeah, they're and just the dead vulture on the floor. <laughs> so assumedly, something climbed up there to kill it. You know. The, uh, whatever this thing was, it had a poison that was easily synthesizable, so there's no way to, to, to track it. 
Um, Dread figures it was following heartbeats. So when it first entered, it got the vulture and then soon found the residents of the apartment sleeping in their beds. The judges were called after they were killed and the smell got real intense, as you do. Uh, the male of the couple was uh, stung and died in his sleep. And the female woke up in panic, attempted to destroy the the uh, deadly robot and like cut her foot up doing it. We're seeing this but all then, in time. Yeah. Yeah. And then, but then uh, it leapt on her face and killed her. Face hugger. And, yeah. Then it escaped. And as it did, it was picked up by that damn kid that's about to the ball. <gasps> but they don't know that. Um, at the same time, Dredd saying that there's no motives or suspects for the killing. It wasn't a robbery. They, they didn't have any enemies. They just moved to the building and stuff, but were well liked. But he assures the, new te- the news team they'll find out who did it. They always do. Although the two judges talk to themselves. They're like, uh, I'm not that confident about that, honestly. I wish I had your confidence. Jesus. The kid. Sociopath. The, uh, yeah, the uh, the uh, doer of this crime, 12-year-old PJ Maybe, didn't have anything against the couple. He just wanted to use his auto death bug. Why not, I guess? The juva goes back home and sits in his dark, creepy room, bouncing his scary-faced ball. <laughs> this has been PJ Maybe's first murder. It is far from being his last. Dun-dun-dun! <laughs> yeah, man. PJ, maybe he's here. All right. Is, so is he P- a crazy psychopath, horrible child? Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, time's going to go by and he'll grow up, you know, as you do. Um, <laughs> but PJ, maybe is one of Dredd's biggest nemesis. I'll, I'll oh. say. Oh. Like, if just because, as we saw here, for a while, Dredd isn't even quite sure that he's engaging with a nemesis, you know? Right. <laughs> But as we'll see, I mean, you know, Dredd doesn't have much of a long-term ro- rogues gallery just because he tends to uh, imprison to them, ki- well, or, or or kill them, you know. Fair. And nobody really get, and it's hard to get out of the ISO cubes, you yeah. know. Unless you're a so, psychic like, with a team of super psychics with you, I guess. I mean, the fact that that's what it took to take to get Orlock out, like yeah. a, mul- a a multi-year plan involving several like trained psychic assassins, <laughs> and they almost didn't make it. You know, well, I mean, <laughs> easy, I mean, two of them didn't exactly. Well, but I mean, three. Orlock almost didn't make it. Yeah, that's, that's true. Say, you know, um, like all that stuff means that generally you only get out once you serve your time, like Chopper or something like that. Mm. Although we'll see, but you know, but I'll say. Like, yeah, PJ maybe is, like, he starts off as sort of a minor character, but will become bigger as time goes by in Judge Dredd. He'll return in September of 1988 with what he did on summer vacation. Exciting stuff. All right. Cool. Next time on Judge Dredd, the blimps! (laughs) Like, dirigibles? I guess I should say in a proper accent, accent, the blimps. <laughs> it's got kind of a southern twang to it. What the hell? <laughs> Beautiful. You'll see. Great stuff. Just real in and out stuff with Dread here. It's starting stories, finishing them up. And as we finish up more, let's finish up some more stories with Thrill Four Rogue Trooper. Hey man, he he's gonna. Uh, I well no, that's spoilers. I'm gonna let you talk about it. Such hit that hit. Oh my god. <laughs> Script robot Simon Geller, art robot Steve Dillon, lettering robot Gordon Robson, is Kid Robson. So, okay, carrying out the orders from Alien Masters, Rogue Trooper is leading an army of slaves against the fortress of Yonto, taking out gun emplacements and leading them deep into the fortress. Until he quits, I guess. 
Yeah, he doesn't want to be a slave, a general of slaves, though, man. He just wants to kill one dude. Rogue spots Yanto and comes after him. He chases him up some stairs, eventually cornering the uh, the Nort general at the top of them. But Yanto claims that he's a double also. Oh, a third double. <laughs> um, Rogue of the Chips keeps saying that the doubles are incident are innocents. Like, oh, I don't want to kill a third innocent man. But I'm not so sure about like the doubles themselves <laughs> being that innocent. Like they they are carrying out the orders of this evil guy one way or another, you know. Don't say this um, shit out loud. I guess is the thing to learn here. Yeah. Anyway, as Rogue thinks it over, Yanto comes up with some throwing stars. And man, Vietnamese slurs aside, like then ninja stars. I know, like context of the time or whatever, but also like really. I'll say the context of the time is 1987. That means it's always the right time for Ninja Stars. <laughs> That's based on my own youth. When I was like six years old. Beautiful. In 1987. Real into Ninja Stars. Um, anyway. <laughs> Rogue dodges one, blocks another, then throws Yanto to the mercies of his, vic- of his victorious slaves. And they apparently rip him apart. Yeah. And at last... Rogue's kill track list, uh, kill tracker wrist thingy lists the general as dead, deleted, which is, you know, a pretty fantastic way to to say someone's dead, I guess. I mean, listen, these aliens are not above doing weird new speak um, political correctness with their execution. Well, you we wouldn't you know? want to say dead. That may offend uh, those that have recently passed. Those guys are sensitive. Um, <laughs> the first hit is complete. And man, that took a while. <laughs> Jesus, it took a while. Like, damn, well, at least he did it. I mean, it said yeah. so on his little uh, two-way wristwatch. Maybe he's yeah, flying the chips through space are pretty now. St- definitely. The, the chips are pretty stoked, so Rogue hits the button and flies through space on to hit two. Woo! All right. Great job, Rogue. You did it. Yeah. The end of Rogue Trooper. <laughs> That's it. Uh, no, we're we're coming back for hit two, but we're still a ways away from it. Uh We'll be back for hit two in March of 1988. Nice. Wow. Still so far away. Damn. Yeah. Like half a year almost, I think. Um, but yeah. Anyhow, man, like, I don't know about this. Like, this was an okay story, I guess. It's fine. Like, a lot of hemming and hawing over the nature of the alien. Right. They it just took too stuff. long to get to him killing a guy. And I swear to God, you don't kill a man, you know, fool me once, shame on me. Fool me twice, yeah. shame on Rogue. It is interestingly built just because we covered this for basically three episodes of the podcast, and I think Rogue killed a double in each episode. It's <laughs> or the actual the double or the actual guy in each episode. I'll be honest, you know? if it just continued being doubles for the whole thing, I might have liked it more. Right. If you had to like like if, if every episode he killed a double or something like that, just go real. Or just it ended it. with him in a room full of doubles and he had to kill them all or something. You know, just something. Whoa. Something where that's you pretty, you're like that's I, pretty grim for sure. Well it's like it's on the nose, you know, like I get it. We we did the double and now we're doing the double thing again. Well, this time why don't we just do a room full of weird doubles? Double I, that double. Oh god. Anyway, exactly, and and uh, let's let's take a respite now with non thrills, covers, and nerve center. We're taking a break, like Rogue Trooper. <laughs> uh, Prague five thirty one. John Higgins draws a cry from the city. The democracy. <laughs> <laughs> that maybe. I love this. I love this cover. Just these 
giant dark judges, a single mega citizen under a spotlight calling for democracy. One of my fave covers for sure. It's pretty imposing. In the Nerve Center, Tharg laments the end of the Anderson and Rogue Trooper stories and plugs the sci-fi special, which we already talked about here on the show. Mm -hmm. There's pictures of Judge Weeble. He don't fall down. (laughs) And the Rainbow Judges, which is based on the British TV series Rainbow, which seems Muppet adjacent. Uh, I've never heard of it, but it's got over a thousand episodes, so I can't argue with that. All right. (laughs) Good work. Yeah. Letters include a sad poem about Judge No One. There's a questions about whether eating a man-eating rat makes you a man-eater, <laughs> and if dread ever makes mistake, and oh, sorry, and if dread ever ever makes mistakes, mm, probably there's not. also compliments. For, nah, but I mean, there's one episode where he said like, "Oh, my mistake, citizen." That was part of a conversational gambit, not him actually making a mistake. There's <laughs> <laughs> well, also compliments for Prog Five Twenty One. Mid-prog, there's an awesome uh, star scan by Liam Sharp. Technically, his first work in the prog before doing PJ maybe a little bit later on. Love his powdered Um, wig. Looking good. Indeed. Or no, sorry, he he did a few, he did uh, PJ maybe in in 534, but he had a future shock later in in 531. Mm. Um, But yeah, excellent um, British style judge wig in there, using the lawgiver as as a gavel. We're also starting to see ads for Zenith in the progs, which I'm super excited about. Um, Prog 532. It's Bad Jack versus Henry Moon. Mean my favorite thing is mean teammates. My favorite thing is the the Panther cod piece. Oh, absolutely. I, I was I was going to talk about that too. Yeah, it's fantastic. Belder, yeah, all I can see is that weird Panther face cod piece for sure. <laughs> In the nerve center, Tharg informs us that while Mean Team is on the cover, it's not in the prog, oh, whatever. Um, and so they make a little contest about it to write in why Jack and Henry are fighting. I'm not sure why they did this. Yeah. Um, maybe there was a production thing or they need some more space for something else. I don't know. Anyway, you're supposed to write in and say why Jack and Henry are fighting before you found out in the sure. actual prog. All right. <laughs> well, let's see if this is actually ever followed up on. That's what I want to see. Um there's a picture of Corkamata, and I definitely buy Nemesis-themed wine st- uh, toppers. That seems pretty solid, or wine stoppers. I, honestly, yeah. Like, you get a Torquemada one, you get a Nemesis one, looks good on the bottles in your fridge or whatever. Mm. <laughs> get that Letters shit on include- Etsy. Definitely. Letters include people being mad about references to Milton Keynes, which is ironic okay. considering the start of, of Strontium Dog here. Um, there's references to the band Hawkwind and requests to return th- for the return of the deadly martial artist Stan Lee, and he'll be back in Prague 540, so about eight, huh. eight progs from now. Okay. Mid Prague, there's an ad for a remote control Miami Vice Ferrari Testerosis or oh, a comic fantastic. Ad starring mar- martial artist Matt Shushiro, who is the personification of the company that makes remote control cards, Matt Shushiro. <laughs> what the fuck? It's like if they had like a Toyota um, commercial, but it's like, oh yes, I am Toy Oda, like you know, Oda. It's fantastic. My last name's Oda. My first name's Toy, or something. Anyway, uh, Prog Prog Five Thirty Three, another famous cover by John Higgins. Looking this one, looking dark. Um, yeah, just just dread pulling a gun on the cover, saying democracy isn't working. Damn. This one was uh, recently made into a t-shirt by Rebellion, and while I, I think it's a great image, I'm not sure if it's an image and a sentiment that I'd want to wear um, yeah. on, on, on my chest all day. Yeah. 
Yeah. But I'm weird about shirts with stuff on them. So, you know, I might, I'm not the same as everybody. <laughs> um, in the Nerf Center, Tharg is pretty excited about the coming of the Nemesis photo strip uh. and the oncoming storm of Zenith. Yeah, that's that's the correct noise to make for the photo strip for sure. It's someone's oh. fetish, but it certainly wasn't mine. Mm. There's a picture of Rogue Rabbit. Cute. Which I think it was pretty well done. And letters that disagree with 2000 AD's definition of mutants, requests to meet Tharg, requests for more Torquemada in the Prague, questions about baby bios, and how Dredd keeps his uniform so clean. The answer, of course, is that he has a spotless re- reputation. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Mid-prog, we got some digi-drawings, which are computer drawings of Dread, Durham Red, and League of Fatties. Just, I love this fancy computer art, man. They always say, what what computer made the art? And I think that's an important piece of information. Pump pork makes me uncomfortable. It is weird, man. But listen, as someone who, as, as two guys that have been deeply um, affected by that um, eye of the fatty, um, story, oh. <laughs> stomach of the tiger Dude. story. Fantastic. <laughs> like... Yelling pig at each other and stuff. I feel like we have to go along with it. (sighs) Um, Anyway, at the end of the prog, Tharg announces the solution to the classic covers challenge. And like I said, it's that Dan Dare's head was different in the reprint cover of Prog 45. Wow. Prog 534. Or sorry. uh, Yeah. Um, 534. Liam Sharp draws a deadly bug. And a kind of and a kind of paunchy Judge Dredd, if yeah. I'm honest. It's a very ominous. It's looking a little well fed. Mm. In the nerve center, Tharg teases the end of DR and Quinch. There are pictures of a very Henry Moon looking strontium cat. Pretty awesome. And a rogue toupee, which uh-huh. I love that pun. Uh-huh. I love them puns. <laughs> Letters include a baby raised by 2000 AD and shocked full of thrill power. Mm. Questions about f- the fake curse word Sneck. And a call out of the misordering of pages in Judge Anderson, although I don't think we saw it in our version of the no. comics. Not that Dark says, and Dark just says, that's how the comic is meant to be read in Jupiter. They're weird out there. <laughs> what the fuck? Mid Prague, Cinema Droid D. Mill shows up for the first time since Prague 323, episode of 100. <laughs> With the news that Dread has been officially optioned by a big movie studio to be made into a feature film. Oh, snap. Yeah, of course, it seems like it'll be stuck in development hell for a while since it won't come out till 1995, you know, eight years later. Anyhow, anyhow, Fox Tharg wants movie posters. And in an act of extreme kismet, we see an example movie poster of a Dread movie starring Harrison Ford, Christopher Walken, and Daryl Hannah, directed by Ridley Scott. Music by Peter, by Peter Gabriel and a uh-huh. bunch of other like uh, production notes from various cool movies of the of the era. Yeah, hey, sure, why not? But you know what's really crazy about this picture, Fox? What's that? The post that this poster was done by 2000 AD reader Danny Cannon, aka the guy that would direct the Sylvester Stallone Judge Dredd movie. What? <laughs> like it, when he grew up eight years later. Yeah, Holy freak out. Shit. All right. Hey, sure. That's a that's that's awesome. At least it was inspired. I mean, something. You know, I think it's very funny. This uh, this uh, Blade Runner version of um, Dread that he's yeah. suggesting in his in his poster. You know, yeah. Like Harrison Ford, he's not going to want to wear that helmet either. I'm just no, saying, you know? and well, apparently neither did Sylvester Stallone. 
No, that's what I'm saying. That's oh. a criticism of Stallone. Mm. And I'm saying that Harrison Ford wouldn't be much better. Um, <laughs> Mid-Progress, more dread fan art, including a Judge Thatcher, Judge Fred Flintstone, Tharg the Menace, and Judge Billy Idol, complete with a guitar. Why not? Which is awesome. Yeah, and the prog ends with a full-page ad for Zenith, and I am pumped about it! I just, I have a hard time understanding 100% what's going on. It does look awesome. <laughs> I mean, honestly, I feel like that's the mind frame you want to carry with you going into, into Zenith okay. and as we go through it over the years. Like, that's easier for I me mean, than you might think. <laughs> yeah. Shut I, brain I, off I, and I, punch I, Nazis? I'm down. No problem. I def I definitely feel like there's some mid there's some like a uh, book like there there's parts of Zenith where I, I was very much like all right like I'm 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 tr- I'm following this but I don't think I'm really tracking it very well <laughs> but but we'll see. All right. Some parallel universe stuff, whatever. Oh. That's like that that's a problem for again like when we're talking eighty nine and ninety and Jesus. Stuff. That's not for, uh, okay. Not for present Connor. Oh my Fox. god. Everything's so far away. We're definitely reaching a point where I feel like everything I'm saying next time is in 88, which is weird because we're only in like August of 87, you know? Anyway, let's uh, just cool out with some weird tales in Thrill 5, Tales of Mega City 1. Sure, why not? Script robot for Tales of Mega City 1. Alan Grant, art robot Paul Hardy, and Dave Wyatt, letting robot um, unknown. That doesn't say. <laughs> Tom Frame, I'd imagine. Um, and I assume this might be Alan Grant uh, with John Wagner as well, just because they're a writing team at this point. Anyway, while these tales of Mega City Earth have, have previously been single-page dread stories, oh. this story is gigantic. And it's, you know, it's a whole, it's a whole thing. I, I nah, was I was yeah. telling you about this earlier. Like I saw how much stopped in these four progs, mm-hmm. and so I just front loaded myself with all of the things that weren't, you know, continuation stories. Yeah. Ugh. Fox like called me up and was like, "This th- this comic is BS," and I was like, "Oh, you've read the uh, the, the, the the revolution <laughs> stuff?" He's like, "No, I haven't even gotten that." I'm like, "What?" Yeah. It's <laughs> just so much. It's just so dense yeah. for a reason. Definitely, yeah. Uh, so this guy is lost in the cursed earth. He's dying of thirst a thousand kilometers from you. No Uber, He's- you know. Nope. I mean, didn't exist at that point, I guess. He's about to die when suddenly a Glover Hover taxi cab shows up. He hails it, pretends to be the one that called it, uh, clearly stealing it from a dude named Watson that actually did call the cab. <laughs> yeah, you see them like <laughs> blow past the dude and he's got a giant flag that said he that says he's Ed Watson. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> it's amazing. The guy in the back the, the guy in the back wants water, but there's no eating or drinking in the cab. Get out of here. Hey, it's just like being in a New York cab. They're going to tell you most of their life story while you just kind of wallow in the back. Yeah. Indeed. Many an Uber ride for Conrad as well. Um, The talky ones are the worst. mm. So this guy um, starts telling his story about how he became the only taxi in the whole cursed earth. He used to work Mega City 1, working hard to compete with the robocabs and stuff. But one day he had a fair gunned down by some criminals right in front of him. Which, I mean, Mega City 1 seems pretty standard. Yeah. He had to escape real fast, pursued by the killers. The guy that was killed left his briefcase behind in the cab. And when the cabbie opened it, it had millions of dollars in cash inside. Sweet. The dying passenger suggests that you should use that money to buy a drink. 
with a cab who disagrees. That's a it's a pretty expensive drink, but hey, sure, why not? Hey, you know, when you when you need it, you'll pay any price, buddy. That's fair. Um, back in the past, dreads on the case at the murder scene. They've managed to identify the cab and they put an APB up out on it. They'll find it soon enough. Oh no, I guess. Yeah, mean, uh, next thing you know, the cabbie's whole family is out on a goddamn ledge. And it's really weird because he says goddamn instead of gruddamn. Grant, <laughs> not using the right future swearing here. Um, but that's an immediate res because instead we're back in the cab 40 kilometers to Mutyville. And the passenger's still dying of thirst. <laughs> the cabbie went home. His continuous story went home with a suitcase full of money. His wife said he should give it back, but no dice, especially because there's a knock at the door and it's those killers from before. And logically, of course, you put your whole family on, uh, you know, just on the ledge outside of your apartment. Well, that seems smart. If you're going to escape, you can't escape leaving your family behind, buddy. They'd like take them hostage instead. Sure. I just mean like, you know, man on a ledge. Family on a ledge. Next level. Always. Ledge that family up. <laughs> the cabbie, Emil, like you said, leads his family out the window onto the fire escape on the side of the Mike Tyson block. Um, the daughter slips and Emil drops, uh, grabs her and drops the case with the money, raining cash down on the street below. Make it rain? Yeah, they burst through another apartment and escape down to the cab with the perps in pursuit. As they go, the judges spot the cab and tr- uh, go, go to pursue it, but then the perps are coming in shooting, so they go go after them instead. <laughs> Jesus. Um, the judges take out the perps as the cabbies escape. Be- as the cabbie escapes beyond the wall of Mega City One, worried that the judges are still after him, he's now laying low, taking fares beyond the wall. But it's hard going. For instance, this guy he's just been telling this whole damn story to has died in the back seat. So, Lousy cheapskate. Throw the body outside, kick it a whole bunch, and drive away. What uh, What great fucking people. Feels right. <laughs> Finally, um, we get our final work from Dave White in the prog with a, with a, with a third Tales of Mega City 1 story. A nice little one-pager, real Beautiful. antidote Mwah. to the previous one. Uh, Dread arrives the flaming Mary Dest block, who I believe is the mother of playwright Preston Sturges. I don't know. Okay. Um, but a kid says his granddad is inside the block. Dread rushes in to save him, but it turns out the granddad is dead and stuffed. Uh, okay. <laughs> it was. I spent. It was I cute. Spent, <laughs> I spent five minutes trying to find a way to do an alliterative version of like stuffed granddad, oh. but I couldn't really find one. Taxidermied patriarch was the best like big words one I could. Think oh, of, uh, that's not. Uh, that's not alliterative. I was gonna say just go Tim and Eric say pep pep. Ooh. Um, anyway, <laughs> dread gives this kid 30, 30 days for in the in the juve cubes for wasting judges' time. Fantastic. Good, always right. So. Enough of these weird side stories, Fox. I, That's what I can say. I mean, maybe. <laughs> I want real solid stuff. I want it to be about um, politics and uh, court intrigue. And because of that, we're going to talk about Thrill 6 Strontium Dog. Man, I I just, I, I feel like there's something being said here that I'm not picking up on. But... Because, uh, I, I mean, maybe there's not a lot to unpack. I mean, at least as far as the British Queen has ever seemed to me, 
at least in the U.S. news, they talk about her not really talking to the news. Like, the family's pretty closed off. This one, it's just like, it's kind of like going to the Jersey Shore, if that makes sense. <laughs> I mean, I think they can be open if they want to talk about things, like they, they're doing fundraising. Well, I mean, Elizabeth, Elizabeth like II that. specifically, like, is noted for not really engaging with the press. Which, by the way, I think is, it's either A, a great, like... um a great stance to take just for your own sort of look to the public, or she's just really fucking smart. And it's like, why would I say things to people who are just going to turn it into something else? I mean, this, you this the queen other people mom in there, like, uh, like princess die at this point was what, what was way in the press for, instance, Oh yeah, that's right. Or like, um, you know, even the way that like the, the Royals are now, like, you know, you could, like, I feel like, uh, Meghan Markle or whatever, whoever's in the, uh, in the press constantly, just cause she's got, uh, a family that that's constantly out of pocket doing stuff. Mm. But anyway, <laughs> damn. Um, Serenium Dog, script drill about Alan Grant and John Wagner's Alan Grant, art about Colors of Scare, letting her about Tom Frame. Three cloaked figures <gasps> sweep into Milton Keynes, Europe's largest mutant ghetto under cover of night. As they enter the city, a trio of mutants on the rooftops prepare to attack, but then they are attacked in turn by one of the hooded figures. Oh, uh, yeah. And who is this hooded figure? Well, first, that that figure identifies the the muties as members of the MLF Mutant Liberation Front. Fuck yeah! How how do they find out about us? But soon they arrive at the home of some duck faced mutants. One of the figures reveals himself. It's Johnny Alpha. Oh snap! I mean, he's a good guy. Hey, just let him in. He could have came without the the cloak and everything. I think everyone would have been just kind of cool with him running through. But yeah, you know. until you see the other two people under the cloaks, <gasps> it's King Clarky of England. Oh snap! He's totally in, and like he's totally his into butler duck girls. dude or something. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So Clarky's here for his so. We, we last saw King Clarky during the Portrait of Mutant storyline. I believe Evans the Fist claimed him and got his uh, five pounds. But anyway. Yeah, isn't, isn't like, at least as I remember it, he basically was like, yeah, fuck the mutants anyway. Right? Like, wasn't exactly yeah, the mean, nicest dude, but now he's got a thing for duck ladies. Well, okay, hold on. Like, let's let's do this one All piece right. at a time here. Because um, Clarky is here in a social call to this family of duck people. Um, he's here to see the the uh, daughter of the family, Vera Duckworth, has been working at, at the uh, palace as part of a work exchange thing, and the king has fallen in love with her. And I'll say, like, what's kind of funny here is just that the king is really this huge, like, ridiculous fop, basically. Yeah, says a lot of... And, and so it means that, like, while he's per- professing his love of Vera to her parents, he also says some weird anti-mutant things in the process of it. Yeah, you know? it's – I'm sure – okay. I know, at least with 70% accuracy, this dude is fucking around, you know? It's not, well, like, not uh, 100%. I, I don't know – I don't know about that, but I think it is one of these. I don't know. Like, okay, this is maybe Conrad talking about things that I've seen a little bit personally, but it's where, um, like, a, s- someone has a girlfriend that's got from like an ethnic group that they like fetishize. Yeah, or something. that's and it so, feels like that a strong agree. 
And so when they talk about it, they talk about it in terms of their like fetish. And it seems like, ooh, like this feels like it's much more complicated than you liking this specific like like person as opposed to what this person like represents in your like, you know, uh, sexual schema or something. Like maybe <laughs> he's real, a guy with a, a fa- shitload of money who's also a king and just uh, is kind of used to getting what he wants. And so in this case, I mean, he's that- using his his money and power to exploit the fact that he's going to be with a duck-billed girl. That's definitely part of it. <laughs> but it's there's like, a lot to unpack. It's also, yeah, there's stuff going on here. But basically, listen, he's got one question. So, so he's here. He's in Milton Keynes at the house of Vera Duckworth's family. And he's got one question for Vera Fox. <laughs> what are her top and bottom thrills? <laughs> Appreciate. And the answer is that her to- the top thrills that he's also asking her to marry him. And become the Queen of England. That's pretty thrilling. Sure, why not? And also, it's probably strontium dog. But, you know. Yeah, Vera says yes, but then we get a bottom thrill as the butler says no and pulls a knife. <laughs> Vera Duckworth must die. Yeah, bottom thrill for me is definitely knife. I feel like that's that's pretty standard. <laughs> Absolutely. But before this butler guy can strike, Johnny is there. He disarms the butler, socks him in the face, and confirms that he's the one that told the MLF about the meeting, though the butler had hoped that they'd just kill Vera instead of trying to kill the king. (laughs) Fantastic. The butler begs King Clarky not to marry that mutant scum, and Clarky says, I'll do what I want, and don't call Vera scum, you bounder! (laughs) It's, uh, yeah, a lot of weird shit ensues from this point. Absolutely. I just like I'm 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 terrible at like rich guy British accent. Oh so no, much, you nailed uh, more, it. That's that sounds that better. sounds like a posh uh uh primmed preened uh foppish but older male. Mm. I'm I'm much better at me Bill Savage. Oh, and and your children <laughs> asking accent. for cowboys and dinosaurs. Oh, of course. That's the number one. I imagine, like, Clarky is sounding very, like, um... No, I had it, and then I lost it. Oh! Uh, oh sh- well, <laughs> don't call her a mutant! No, I think, like, less Snagglepuss and more like uh, <laughs> like Hugh Laurie as, like, uh, as like a Bertie Wooster or something like that, you know? I, 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 like, the, um, I like the less Snagglepuss. That, that is going dude, to be you, over the head <laughs> of, like, at least somebody who's 18 at this point. Your accent was extremely snackle pussy. It's I not. A, it's not. It's, it's not an insult. It's a. It's nah. an observation. I like Wally Gator. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> anyway, Jesus. Cl- Clarky packs up Vera and they head back to Upminster Palace. The king explains his intentions, and the prime minister is convinced that Clarky is mad. Oof. And Johnny's like, he might be, but he also pays well, so I'm sticking with him. <laughs> Sorry, man. Like we don't care, but also like Johnny yeah. kind of cares. He's like, yeah, cool, progressive. Johnny sees that this could be a positive in human mutant relations, yeah. which he's still kind of interested in. The PM says that the marriage would destroy the very fabric of British society, mm. and the king mother says it's a disgrace and that he must abdicate. And she's shant. She, yeah, it's pretty much she's banished to her room. I love saying that you must do something, and he's like, and you say shant as a shall not. It's beautiful. The king mother says that the people will kill Vera before accepting her as queen, and Johnny might agree with this. He suggests hiring more bodyguards just in case. Seems and right. Suddenly, a ship is arriving from the doghouse, and aboard is by God, Midface McNulty. Beautiful. And you know, by an God, anteater. that's Midface McNulty's music. 
Yeah, I like the anteater, the the kind of vampire guy, and of course, you know, a weirdly timed uh, duck man. Yeah, buff duck dude. Yeah. Um, I like that. Um, McNulty and uh, and Alfred just start reminiscing the last time they were here. It was just part of like a the, a, a paramilitary group taking it over Jesus. during the rebellion and stuff. Um. Real great stuff. A bunch of the mutants, yeah, they show up too. I like, yeah, the duck face guy I meet. Like, everybody starts capping on Vera for being a duck lady. <laughs> and the duck guy's like, I don't know. She looks pretty good to me. It's like, okay, buddy. We know what you, we know what you like, you know? Um, Beautiful. But this whole thing's a powder keg. So the guys will have to work hard to keep the king and his fiance safe. After all, Vera's a sitting duck. Oh, yeah. waka, waka, waka. <laughs> That's the joke McNulty makes as well. So, you know, great minds think alike here. Uh, Johnny is watching an ad that Mm. King Clarky has made. So horrible. Him walking around. I say hello, plants. Hello, King Clarky. So (laughs) He's the best. He's going to marry Vera Duckworth. And if you don't like it, hey, man, he's still the king. And he'll do what he jolly well likes. So I, I feel like, you know... This kind of ad, it was fine enough, but then he just ends the whole thing with like, and if you don't like it, fuck off, raspberry. Excellent. I feel like I I meant to ask some British people about if this kind of thing actually happened, because I remember there being a version of this kind of thing, mm. like not like him like blowing a raspberry at the nation, but like um, in the second season of the UK House of Cards. It's about um, this new king gets sworn in and he like kind of films this PSA of him walking around like the cliffs of Dover <laughs> talking about how great England could be or something. Okay. And like the evil House of Cards guy is like, no, we'll take this king out and replace him with a young prince that I can manipulate because I'm so evil. <laughs> um, and, you know, so I feel like maybe there might have just been these like weird royal royal commercials. Oh, sure. Why not? At the right? time. I tried to look it up, but all I could find was commercials with a band queen in them, so it wasn't very helpful. Oh, that's a little <laughs> anyway, odd. Johnny says they've intercepted 12 letter bombs so far. Okay. The norms are not pleased about this It's a one. modest amount of letter bombs. Reasonable amount. <laughs> Meanwhile, Middenface is searching the King Mother and finds a vial of poison. Oh, my and God. And just gets on the radio and says, Mother, go to your room. It's pretty. <laughs> it's pretty excellent. Yeah, I mean... It's a very Cersei thing going on right now. Absolutely. At the same time, the prime minister and a bunch of goons show up. It's an all-party delegation demanding that the king end his engagement, and they present him with a warrant for his arrest and removal as monarch. Well, But in one of these things that I find very confusing because I don't understand how, how king stuff works, <laughs> um, the king has to assent to being arrested and removed, which is part of the legislation all process. Right. And he does not seem to assent to that happening. Yeah, in fact, uh, so much so that a bunch of strontium dogs point guns at the people who would be his arresters. Yeah, the PM calls on the the chief constable to arrest the king, and the strontium dogs pull guns. No way. Yeah, that ain't gonna happen. Pays real good. The forces of government... Yeah, the forces of government are kicked out, swearing they'll be back, but frankly, things are getting way too hot around here. Uh, Johnny says he was hoping this would help the mutant cause, but if everybody Mm -hmm. gets killed, it'll be no good for the cause or their very lives. Yeah, so uh, seems like this is going to be another particularly difficult situation. That's right. Only one thing to do, Fox. What's that? That's grab the bishop. We're moving the wedding forward. (laughs) That's probably a pretty good call. It's a reasonable call. 
I'm ready. Next time, Vera Duckworth's coronation treat. Okay. All right. I hope they don't have, uh, or they don't serve duck for dinner. Probably be a little bit of a faux pas. <laughs> that would be messed up. I got to say, I got a lot of empathy for Miss Duckworth if just because my mom's name is, or or my, my grandma, I should say, uh, uh, name name is Vera, and she's a cool old lady. Oh, Vera's a anyway, beautiful name. Yeah. I'll say also that, like, obvious, I, I'd say the big thing that we're seeing here, besides just sort of royals being crazy and telling a fun story, hmm. is like shades of um, Wallace Simpson, I want to say her name was. Okay. The lady that um, the divorcee that um, King Edward um, married, but had to abdicate the throne to marry back in the day. Okay, interesting. The American. I think. I think so. she was American. I don't know. Yeah, but you know, she, um, yeah, and so uh, Ed- Edward the Seventh married her, and that's how the king's speech happened. Blah blah blah. No succession. New guy that was. Yeah, king. exactly. Yeah. Anyway, I say death to kings, and who agrees with me? The anarchic fellows of DR and Quinch. Shrill seven. <laughs> Why not? Love these boys. Script robot Jamie Delano and Alan Davis. Art robot for for pencils Alan Davis. Inks and colors Mark Farmer. Letting robot Steve Potter. The boys, DR and Quinch, they're answering your letters, this time from Steve Bint of Chamberley. He's tired of these jerks at the DHSS office being real mean about not handing over that sweet, sweet unemployment money. Hey, give me my cash. Give me my cash. The boys, yeah, the boys suggest just having some confidence, marching in there, and signing your name by shooting it into the wall. (laughs) Seems to be pretty forward. Yeah. Yeah. Without even a letter next, the boys just give it out love advice surrounded oh, by chicks and wearing their Saturday Night Fever suits. When suddenly, a shadow appears out of the frame. It's Crazy Chrissy! I may actually be in love with Crazy Chrissy. She's pretty good. She's beaten up and tied up the guys, and now she's answering letters. Sure, why not? The first one is from Anonymous, and she basically says uh, that she doesn't date guys who aren't man enough to use their names. So you just got to say your love of this alien, um, temptress, loud and proud, Fox. Beautiful. She, she also tells uh, Neil Beatham that she, he can't get a date with Halo Jones because she's in the future, but you could probably find her many times great grandma out there. Oof. Like there's probably hundreds of Halo Jones grandmas. Yeah, to be perfectly um, honest. Out, out there. <laughs> In the 21st century, you know, just the way that stuff works. Um, with DR and Quinch still tied up and beaten, Cryopraisia has gone full Dame Edna answering your letters. Yay! This one's from JD in Liverpool. How do I get the boy I like that doesn't even know I'm alive to notice me? Aww. Chrissy can answer this one from experience as he punches <laughs> DR right in the face. Um, the answer, of course, is subtlety, Fox. Mm. Grab all their favorite stuff, including like video nasties, screaming corpses, laser discs, and thermonuclear sidearms, and store them all in an instant vapor disintegration unit linked to a remote control with a hair trigger. Soon, they'll give you some proper respect or get what's coming to them, as indeed DR is now happily kissing Chrissy's feet. Yeah, some weird BDSM stuff that this chick is into. I mean, I think she's into a lot of things, and some of it might be a little more violent if you aren't careful about it, you know? Yeah. 
Keep in mind, this is like um, she started out as like a high school student, oh, yeah. but eventually got so mad from DR that she had to uh, become a intergalactic mercenary. Hey, sure, why not? She's awesome. But and but with that revelation, this sadly is the end of DR and Quinch. What? Yeah, no. like uh, Halo. This is the end of this series, and basically it. Like Halo Jones herself, they'll be back in Prague 120. Uh, no, sorry, in Prague 1280 for the 2080 25th anniversary. Damn! But even that's for only a brief camo, cameo, I should say. Um, stay cool, space bros. Mind the oranges. Love you, Dr. and Quinch. Yeah, man. I didn't know. I love you guys. You're so fantastic. Yeah, always fun. I thought this was pretty well done, honestly. I yeah. mean, it doesn't like it, it lacks some of the like uh, Alan Moore like insane overwriting of, sure. uh, uh, of words and stuff. But I think this was like nicely anarchic, which is what you're looking for with DR. Do you Quinch. know why I dislike uh, Future Shocks as much as I do? Why is that fucked? Because they're not DR and Quinch's agony page. That's super fair. You know what else isn't DR and Quinch's uh, agony page? What's that? Thrill 8, Nemesis the Warlock. Oh, God. Uh, It's so awkward. It's so weird. It's so (laughs) weird, Conrad. Yeah, definitely. Script robot Pat Mills, photo robot Tony Luke, Uh, writing robot Steve Potter, cast uh, Christine Gravel as Candida, Keith Banks as Nemesis, and Lef Fuller as Torquemada. I'm feeling feeling very wary Eagles Dare right now, Fox, as we get into these photo strips. Uh, it's but, so, uh, it's photo uh, it's, strip. it feels fetishy, if that makes sense. Like aliens oh, sure. and like weird dudes with hats, and I, it's this whole thing made me uncomfortable. I'm I don't even yeah, know if it's going to be canon or not. I mean, it's fine, but also <laughs> like, wh- uh, what is this? I would say not not quite canon. But yeah, this is one of the mo- more infamous um, entries in 2080 history. The Nemesis photo story. It's actually the second Nemesis photo mm. story. We've seen the other one in the sci-fi special and was basically the, uh, the result of a partnership between Pat Mills and photographer, filmmaker Tony Luke. I'd really suggest checking out that info or, or that episode for more information about these trips as a whole just because um, – we really went in depth about some of the history there as well. Sure. Um, but anyway, in the jet, so basically, yeah, it's a live action Nemesis mm. the Warlock strip. We got a very gothy, um, a very gothy Candida, and then crazy hats for Nemesis and Torquemada. I mean, I'm very glad that real life Candida can exist. It's beautiful, great eye makeup. Yeah, definitely. But also, like, uh. A lot of eye makeup, a lot of hair going on. I, I I read some things on social media, people saying that they actually met this lady who played Candida in real life whoa. and had one of those like, oh, you, you look just like Candida in the comics. I was like, I am. I'm like, ooh, whoa. <laughs> That's cool. Anyway, since we last saw her, Candida, Torquemada's wife, has gone extremely goth, mm-hmm. filling her asylum room with skulls and cobwebs and things of that nature. Why not? As she dreams, she hears a voice. It's Nemesis. Oh, man. It's that weird dream that you get when an alien comes to tell you, I'm going to cast a spell on you, kind of. Yeah. He offers to help her forget her troubled past and become young and carefree again. Sure. Why? He has these reasons. 
And when Candida asks about them, most we find that they're mostly just to kind of mess with Torquemada, which is actually sort of presaging some of the stuff we're going to um, some themes in Nemesis, just stuff that he's like more interested, honestly, in chaos for chaos's sake, hmm. instead of any actual beliefs or or I don't know, like like ambitions or anything like that. It was kind of interesting. Right. I believe in nothing, Lebowski. <laughs> Exactly. His words are intriguing to Candida. Meanwhile, Torquemada is on his way to visit her and arrives to find her in the embrace of Nemesis. <gasps> this stops the warlock's attempts to help Candida as he disappears into the shadows. Torquemada questions her, but she says nothing happens. After all, when you get down to it, it's all in the mind. Womp womp. Kick punch. Anyway, it's all in the um, mind. If you want to test me, I'm sure you'll find the things I'll teach you are sure to beat you, but nevertheless, you'll get a lesson from teacher. Now, kick. The end of Nemesis for now. We'll return with the two Torquemadas in Prague 4 and Prague's 546. Can't set me up like that, man. <laughs> I'm I'm so glad that you did it, man. That's what I was. I I I don't. I I didn't play a ton of Parappa, so I don't really know the line. So I'm glad you were there to help me out with it. Honestly, beautiful. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I know this knowledge. We're a team. Hey, listen. I know weird stuff too. We're all on the verge of it. Um, <laughs> and speaking of weird, forbidden knowledge, Fox. Oh God, I wish it was forbidden. <laughs> Thrill nine, future jocks. Oh, finally. We're doing a lot of like things starting and things ending in one shot. So thrill nine, that's a pretty high, high thrill number for this one. God, it, there was just so much this month. I mean, only four, but still it felt like a lot, mm. especially when you combine Tales of Mega City One, which is a very future shockish kind of feel to it. Yeah. Um, first story Someone is Watching Me. Script robot Alan McKenzie, art robot Liam, Sh- Liam Sharp, letting robot Jack Potter. Uh, first work in the Prague by Liam Sharp or Liam McCormick Sharp, as he's known now, but he's not married yet, so he's not double-barreled. He's still just um, Liam Sharp. Um, anyway, not ca- uh, sorry, and uh, this is his first work, not counting the dread the ju- the English judge dread pinup earlier in five thirty one. He'll go on to draw several key dread stories to do a lot of mainstream comic stuff, including my including one of my faves, uh, Death Death's Head 2, which is sort of an English superhero comic. Death's Head 2. But also complicated. Um, okay. <laughs> this story is a pretty complex two-pager. A man is about to kill himself via electrocution when he's... Oh, sorry, because he's getting constant, constant defamatory phone calls to his family and his job and stuff. He ends up in jail. And eventually we learn this is all being done as part of a plot by an electronics-based psychopath out to ruin his life. Which, all right. The man pulls the switch to electrocute himself, and while it doesn't seem to kill him, it does seem to have killed the psycho, even as the cops have discovered his plot and burst in on his charred corpse. Sure, why not? <laughs> uh, next up, Killer, the Killer in the Cab. A script about Alan Moore, art about John Richardson, letter about Tom Frame. This Frank. is a reprint, ar- right? Oh, yeah. We're, we're in the archives for this one, I guess, due to that um, the difficulty with the episode of Mean Team in this issue not being there or mm. something like that. Uh, this was Alan Moore's first story in the regular progs. And so I am going to replay my recap of it. <laughs> Watcher Humes. 
A space trucker named Sun Dodger is marooned on a dead world because his ship's security system thinks he's a hijacker. His ankle is broken, he's low on oxygen, and all seems lost when another trucker, Andromeda Angel, answers his distress call. She walks him through, deactivating his truck's AI, enabling him to survive and continue his journey. Hooray! He makes dinner plans with Angel to thank her for saving him. After all, we humans got to stick together. But it turns out that Andromeda Angel is a lady robot truck driver. Oh, uh, whoa. whoa. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Next. Next up, the junkyard shift. More art. This one, again, is in 532, which we had a real bad scan of. And a lot of mm. the art here is really messed up. Um, script about Alan McKenzie. Yes, Murdoch McKenzie. Art girl about Simon Harris and letting her about Tom Frame. Um, basically, though, um, the uh, soul is burning out. That's the sun, buddy. And uh, a bunch of war droids arrive on the remains of Earth to do some scavenging, but are attacked by a sleeping giant war robot. All the robots are warped out, just more victims of the endless cycle of futuristic robot uh, war. Oh, whoa. Yeah, think about it. Finally! Ugh. Last and least, alternators. Script robot Alan McKenzie, letting robot Simon Harrison, letting robot, oh sorry, script robot Alan McKenzie, art robot Simon Harrison, letting robot um, John Aldrich's Aldrich 3. Oh man, mm. on a planet not unlike Earth, an evil sprog named Bradley will be an unholy terror and will whine and plead with his parents for a device called an alternator. Sure. And Bradley, just so you know, he's like a weird looking kid, kind of circular, he's got six stalks of hair coming off the top of his head. I am not a huge Bradley fan, but we are going through this. Um, An alternator is a robot where you press a button and it turns into just what you need at that moment. Sure. His parents buy him one. And it op- he opens it up and presses the button, and it turns into just what his parents need, an angry robot that ties Bradley up and says, You speak, you die. Which, all right, good parenting. I mean, good enough, you know. It's <laughs> I like that. I like that take. Good enough. It's fine. <laughs> what a... Who am I to judge parents of some futuristic alternate planet? That's fair. You know, I am I, I am pushing my morals on their uh, you know, lifestyle, I guess. Yeah, get out of here, buddy. But before you get out of here, stay here and answer me one more question, Fox. Oh god. What could it be? Like like Vera Duckworth, I must know. Will you marry me and become Queen of England? No. Uh, what are your top and, top and bottom thrills? I mean, you tempt me. For this July and August 1987. So temptuous. Uh, so, man, top super easy for me. Um, God, for so many reasons. Uh, so Judge Dredd, out the gate, nice. like, obviously, obviously. Like, I, while reading that, I had to, like, I will sometimes take breaks in between reading if something's really intense. And I like mm-hmm. as I as I started reading, I was like, okay, like reading through all of the stuff, and it just kept getting more and more and more and more intense uh, along mm-hmm. the lines of like how it was setting the stage with the democratic portions and with the visuals just kind of showing that you know what's looming on the next page, right? Like mm-hmm. exactly what jackboot is going to come down on your neck and crush your trachea. And, uh, <laughs> like, it was horrible to read. Not bad. Just like, ooh, I like me, I like me some, uh, I like me some dystopian futures. And that one got real dark. So I, my top spot is definitively dread. In terms of bottom, man, anything that wasn't called Strontium Dog, uh, what else? 
uh, Rogue Trooper or uh, D.R. and Quinch or uh, Anderson. Everything else bottom. <laughs> so I'm, I'm, I'm hearing Mean Team, Nemesis. <laughs> oh, yeah. And then the... Me- and uh, Future Shocks. Oh, yeah. And, and of course, the... the uh, uh, oh, and Tales, Tales from Mega City. Boom. One. All of those equally low. It was like, Jesus, I had to slog through all of that. Although I, I will put Nemesis just a little tiny bit above all of those because it was weird. Um, and that at least is better than just kind of like, meh, eh. Yeah. <laughs> and Conrad, I have to ask, although I think something similar is going to come out of your mouth. But you know what? I'm going to ask anyway. Will you be the king of England? And by that, I mean, will you tell me your top and bottom thrills? Naturally. I've, I thought you'd never ask. Beautiful. Um, I hope you have a duck bill. I'm into some weird shit. uh, Whoa. Uh, My (laughs) top's also Dread, of course. Like, this is a real good, like, important Dread story, I think. Um, I've been thinking a lot about um, what's up with 1987, I guess. Like, like how I would describe the year. Weird. And for, for, yeah, I mean, it's a transitional year for sure. Mm. I'd also say that it's a year of big stories. Like, there's a big, like, it goes from one big story to the next. Um, it starts with uh, with Bitch, with the Strontium Dog story. Then it goes to Zenith. Then, then it goes to Oz. And mm. in between Bitch and Zenith is is this story, is this revolution story that I think is a really interesting thing that really moves Dredd along, really takes – like really puts Dredd's center stage in this story and makes you think about the world that he's in and what and, – and, and, and how that exists. And it asks questions that I think you can't really answer – be it in a comic book or just generally. I think it's a really interesting thing. And I think it's a really like bold and brave move, honestly, to, uh, to do. Yeah. It's beautiful, um, Conrad. So I love, so I, I really like this story, even if I don't really like Judge Dredd in it, if that makes yeah. sense. Um, you know, this is something that really reminds you that it's easy to, that, you know, it's, it's, you should think of Dredd as the villain a lot of the time. Oh yeah. Like, you know, like it's only the fact that he's faced with people even more evil than he is that he ends up being a good guy basically <laughs> and they really have to make them overly intense just to like prove out that yeah but i think that this really sort of i don't know fr- uh makes that front facing and makes that something that's really part of the story mm. um and so it's something to keep an eye out for as we move forward i think it's going to be a really big part of the final big story of 1987, uh, Oz, this story. All right. Where we're, we're going to see a lot of stuff going on. I, I don't want to talk about any of it because <laughs> it would spoil you. Okay. But um, it's I'm really interested to see just sort of how we can see see those two affecting each other, basically. I'm excited. Um, yeah, I think it's it's great. So I think this um, yeah this story is really important just in the history of Dread and can't be underestimated. Uh, that, that's what I'm trying to say. I, I'm talking about it like I'm worried that I'm giving it too much, but I still feel like it has. I to mean, be it said. kind of deserves a lot of what we're talking about, right? Like it commanded yeah. that kind of respect. For my bottom, oof, I'm tempted to say Tales of Mega City One. I didn't like it. It's just yeah. so long. It's like it's it's seven page. It's uh, seven pages over in two issues, so fourteen pages total. It's a gigantic. You still have to um, ask yourself why? Why was like it this? space taker? 
and so weird in this week where we're also where we also have this revolution stuff. We just also have this weird like long tail story about yeah. um, mistaken identity in Mega City One and stuff like that. I just I it's, it's so odd. I'd say that combined with um, with Mean Team, which I'm still keeping as my yeah. as my whipping boy. It um, should and be. This one was very much we started and ended in pretty much the exactly same spit spot in Mean Team. <laughs> like, yeah, we had th- three weeks and very little forward movement. So, in all, like I don't know, it's going to pick up the pace a little bit, but. I mean, I'm just really not enjoying this, this version of it. I mean, you know so far, no good. Let me just put it that yeah. way. Definitely. All right. And so that's it for our stuff. Well, um, I hope everybody en- enjoyed the show. As always, you can find Space Spinner 2000 on iTunes, Stitcher, the Google Play Store, Spotify, or our sp- podcast site at spacespinner2000.com. Feel free to contact us at spacespinner2000 at gmail.com on the 2080 forums or on our Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter pages on Twitter. We're at SpaceSpinner2K. Everything else is SpaceSpinner2000. We should be there. Then, come back next time as Judge Dredd takes a trek down on the bayou to meet Alabama blimps. Okay. The, the royal affair concludes. Mean Team heads down river, and two new stories will begin. One, boardroom drama slash massive punch fest, Universal Soldier, and the long-awaited arrival of Zenith. I'm never going to give it up. Okay. I'm never going to give it up. Until then, I'm Conrad, he's Fox, and we are Space Spinner 2000. Sunday Patrick.